We're starting a new series this week on the parables in Luke. It's going to be 13 weeks, so hey, welcome. It's summer, if you didn't know it. Hey, it's summer. This is our summer series. You'll be... And uh, it's going to be a little different. So if you have a Bible or a phone, I would encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 8, because I'm going to read the pat- this first section, and then I want you actually to talk about it at your table. So that what you're looking for as you listen to me read this, and then as you maybe need to look back at it, because you, you know, you've maybe lost some of it as we've been reading it, um, is just what, what is this telling us about God? What do you notice in this passage? And then maybe what is this telling us about God, or what is this telling us about life? What is the point that Jesus is making? So anything that kind of stands out and you go, huh, that's curious, or that's a little odd, or this just really stood out to me as I heard it read. And then what is, what is the point that Jesus is making? Why is he telling this little story? Uh, what does this tell about life, God, God's kingdom, etc.? Okay, you guys good? Now, it may be helpful, actually, now that you've turned to that, is actually just to put that aside, and I would encourage you just to listen to it read once, but then you will be able to have it in front of you, maybe even in a different translation, to look back at after I read it. Okay, does that make sense? So just put your listening hat on. That's a thing. People say that, listening hat? I don't know. Okay? Just put your, turn your listeners on, and here's the, here's the words of Jesus from, isn't it amazing? 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke this, and we have it today. Praise the Lord. I'm going to read this little intro paragraph first, and then we'll get to the parable. See a little context, okay? Luke chapter 8. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right, I'm going to give you two to three minutes to talk about this. What did you notice? What do you think Jesus is trying to tell us about God or life or himself, etc.? Okay, go for it. All right, I'm going to pull you back together. Uh, those of you that are really good at cheating, maybe you read ahead. And, but I'm going to read this next passage, and then I'm going to share a few thoughts, okay? So this is, now we're going to pick up in verse 9. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. 
And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Amen. Uh, this Monday, our uh, Roots program, which is our kids' discipleship program, had a pool party at Travis Schultz's and Rachel Schultz's house, and we had a blast. Um, just was like, you couldn't have picked a perfect, more perfect day. Like somebody dialed that in with the Lord, I think, ahead of time. Because if you remember, it was like 80 degrees, it was sunny, people were getting sunburned, it was perfect. You know, it's like, that's what you want for a pool party, you know? You can handle the sunburn, you know, way better than a rainy day on a pool party, right? So um, it was just a great time. And on the, on we were, as we were driving there as a family, my son, Wes, is telling us, we have to, we have to remember the secret code, the secret password to get in, or they're not going to let us into the party. Because um, Jade, my wife, and Ben have been leading the Junior Roots program, and they were also invited to the, the pool party. And one of the things they've been doing with the kids is, like, at the end of the week, they say, okay, this is the code word for next week that you have to remember if you forget this. Like, you, you cannot get in. So it's, oh, okay, well, so you're getting this secondhand, right? I mean, so. What was the, what was the password for Monday. Horse flies. There you go. Okay. Nobody asked us for the password. We just went through the gate and jumped in the pool. But um, the reason that they did that is because it, it, it gets the kids' attention. You know, it was like a moment of chaos, I think, and Jay was like, all right, I got an idea. We're going to start doing passwords. You know, like, hey, everybody, so the password. Everyone's like, password? You know? There's something about, right, a secret, a secret thing that gets our attention, you know? If anybody has ever told you, hey, do you want to know a secret? Like, nobody says no, you know? Like, everyone's like, yeah, tell me. I want to know what the secret is. So Jesus here in this passage and, and throughout these parables, this is the first parable in the book of Luke, and he's talking about to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. So this series, we're going to be walking through, and Jesus has some secrets that he's actually telling. And in some ways, you hear a little bit about how he's keeping these secrets guarded or hidden a little bit from people. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this, this summer, is what are the secrets of the kingdom that Jesus, for some reason, is keeping hidden, but, but is then also saying, hey, to the disciples, he's making them plain. And to us, his disciples in the 21st century, what are the things about his kingdom that he is wanting to make plain to us as we engage in these little secrets that Jesus is whispering in our ears, okay? Now, in this passage, um, it's, a, it's kind of a puzzling thing. Why would Jesus want to keep some of these things secret from people? And again, that's not something he does now, before in his life on earth, he's, he's saying, hey, I'm telling these things in paper. You guys, I'm giving the secrets to you. And then he goes in to explain the parable and kind of unlock the secret of this story. But he says so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. 
There's a lot of talk about this in theological circles, kind of the big, the big idea of this, the, the phrase that people use is it's called the messianic secret, which is somehow Jesus is like keeping his mission secret. And there's probably some, some important reasons for this, but I think you could probably just boil it down to like, he needs to be crucified. So he knows that, you know, uh, this is where he's headed and people cannot understand fully if they did for some reason, it may shift his, his, his ministry or make it more difficult. You see other difficulties that come. He's always t- he's healing people, and he's saying, hey, shh, don't tell anybody about this healing. They go out and tell, you know, every, you know everybody that they know, you know, and then it's causing issues because then he's got to move out into the wilderness. So there's all kinds of things that Jesus is kind of having to keep secret, but he's got this inner circle who he knows are going to be the foundation of the church, and so to them, he's revealing the things now. So one thing to understand is that, you know, he's also quoting the book of Isaiah in here or referencing at least Isaiah's ministry. He was a prophet in the Old Testament and his ministry was to go and speak these words that that would basically, the people would harden their hearts to so that God would be able to send them out into exile and punish the nation of Israel and Judah. And therefore through, you know, his kind of sovereign plan of history that this is how the Messiah was going to come back as the people came back. All right. Am I losing you guys? Okay. So, so if this is puzzling, like, well, Jesus, why are you hiding stuff? You know, like, there's a reason. Because he was physically on earth, and he had to go to the cross, you know, and, and there was certain things he wanted that he knew the Lord was leading him to in ministry. It, this would have made things difficult, okay? Because he's already drawing all these crowds from his miracles and his ministry, and the crucifixion's in sight, all right? Now, uh, it's interesting in this passage to think about, you know, and... and I'm not saying this is necessarily what is happening here or the the things that Jesus is kind of pointing to, but uh, as he explains the parable, right, we hear these three different enemies. The first enemy is the devil. The second enemy is, uh, sorry, I just want to make sure I get the order right. The second, I guess you could, you, could, you could kind of tease these out, but the second enemy is probably the world, and the third one is what we would maybe say the flesh. In other words, our own inner inclination towards evil or hurt. And these are the three big enemies of our lives. The devil is, wants nothing else than to destroy all of us. And he knows that uh, taking the word away from us and, you know, and seeding lies instead is going to lead to sin, and sin leads to death destruction. Then we see the world, the pressure from, you know, persecution, criticism, you know, shame, uh, you know, difficulties and trials in life. And the third one, kind of this idea of, you know, he talks about, you know, wealth or the cares of the world is this inclination in our own hearts to make idols and bow down to those idols. So these are the enemies that we experience. It's also interesting to think about um, the progression here. Where's the first time that the devil is mentioned in the Bible? It's right in the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, right? God makes the world in Genesis 1. He tells the story in a different way in Genesis chapter 2, and then the devil comes in. And what does he do? He seeds a lie. And he's been doing this a long time. He wants to twist, distort, or take away the word of God that was spoken to Adam and Eve. 
and he wants to see the lie. And gosh, pretty effective strategy. Because now the world is broken because men and women have continually, and in the beginning, bought that lie, which we refer to as the fall. Right? Uh, the, the, the second part here talks about um, the rock, the seed that's thrown on the rock, which is interesting. It, 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 if you're uh, kind of tuned into the Old Testament at all, and you want to have, you know, he's speaking to a Jewish audience, so that's their whole Bible back then. When you think about rock, that actually, the, the first thing that that really comes back to is the journey in the wilderness. And uh, what's interesting to note is that that was a testing of their faith. It was a trial. What does he say in, in these verses? He says, uh, in a time of testing, fell away. That whole generation that came out of Egypt was a generation of seed that fell on a rock. Even though they saw the miracles, even though they experienced the deliverance and the plundering of Egypt, all the wealth that they took with them, their neighbors are just throwing gold at them. That would have been nice, huh? In the time of testing of their faith, they didn't believe. They fell away, and they all died in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb, just two exceptions because of their faith. Thirdly, uh, anytime you, if you were a Jewish person and you heard the word thorn, uh, there's a, a reference in the Old Testament. I think often we think of Paul's thorn in his side, which I believe is also a reference to this. But God says, I think actually the first place maybe this is mentioned is, I think Moses talks about this in his big speech in the book of Deuteronomy. That if they turn away from following God's law, that the nations around them will become thorns in, in their sides. And what did those nations do? They led them into idolatry, idolatrous practices, which was the downfall of their whole kingdom, right? Starting with, uh, I mean, gosh, before Solomon, but Solomon was a, a terrible example as well from all the wives that he married and then started worshiping other gods. So just trying to give you a little bit of the context of the Old Testament, but, but the enemies are the same, right? The devil is wanting to lie and steal the word away. The world is wanting to create pressure, persecution, uh, hardship for us that causes us to give up on following Jesus for good or in, cer- in certain seasons. And then our own inner inclination towards sin leads us to make idols of things. Specifically in our culture, I think this is probably the hardest one for us, but, you know, uh, just wealth. Our, our culture's idolization of wealth, of power, um, of some other idea of the good life. Now, the last section of this is obviously the good soil. And so if you think about good soil and where this idea kind of began, right? You have, the story begins in the Garden of Eden where it's all good soil. Then we have the fall and man is given this uh, kind of, the ground is cursed because of man's sin and now he's going to have to toil in order to produce. You guys remember that part, right? In the end of Genesis 3. And that's a reflection of, of kind of where this is all began and now what the real battle is. There's a, there's a toiling, and again, another reference to thorns there as well. Uh, there's, a, there's a toiling 
to cultivate good soil. So as Jesus is telling this story, what is the point? Is it just, these are how different people respond? Maybe, you know, there's four different responses to the word of God. Uh, It could be a warning. It's giving a warning to us to say, hey, where do you see yourself? Is there a place of some of these different soils where you feel like your soil is not very fruitful because there's thorns growing up in there or uh, there's, there's some rocks that need to be pulled out or there's some birds that need to be, you know, shooed away, right? By force, by aggression. I think there's something there for us. And what I would tell you is that I, I think that the biggest, uh, the biggest lesson that actually we draw from this, the tilling of the good soil, the preparation of the soil, the thing that will root out the rocks, the thing that will shoo away the birds that want to come and snatch the seed, the thing that will keep the thorns and thistles, that will yank those out, is prayer. And, I, and when I say that word, I, I mean more than just asking God for things. I mean that the Christian life is really about learning to commune with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If there's one thing that you need to learn, it is, Lord, teach us to pray how to pray, and to pray. Because actually, that's the hardest step. Right? You really can't go wrong in praying in, in most, almost any way. Now there's, you know, some prayers that are probably better than others. You know, Lord, please give me a Ferrari so I can drive around with my friends. But... In anything, there, there is a reaching out, right, to the Lord. And the, the real challenge is, is, Lord, teach us to pray. And I just want to offer that as a, as a theme that I think is going to run through these parables. The secret of the kingdom is really that, that Jesus is, has, is and has removed the separation between God and man. And we have access to the Holy Spirit. As we celebrate Pentecost Sunday today, this is, this is the, the, the day that we commemorate the Holy Spirit coming down, which is made possible by Jesus' incarnation, life, death, resurrection, ascension to the right hand of the Father, where he rules and reigns. Our journey now to live a life that the secret that Jesus is revealing here, a fruitful life, is really good soil that is cultivated by living a life of prayer. I mean, you know, and what are the secrets of prayer? I don't know. Pray. Seriously. It's to pray. Teach us to pray. I think in my own life, I've often kind of tried to find the best method of prayer or like the secret rabbit trail or the shortcut to becoming more fruitful in some method of prayer. And, you know, there, there may be something to that, but really just, hey, we just need to pray. 
And I think in this world especially, we have all felt how powerless we really are. You know, that a little strain of virus can just cripple the world and cause such conflict that because of our own, you know, inner inclinations towards division in our hearts, and it's revealed a lot, right? But the thing that the world needs is prayer. And, you know, we, we say this a lot, you know, every time we pray, something happens, you know, because every prayer changes the entire universe. Today, we just need to, we need to shoo the birds away and really believe that, right? Instead of letting them maybe steal it, and, and we, we, we tend towards, you know, non-prayer. So that's my encouragement to you today. I think this is the, this is the, the key to the soil passage, the secret of the kingdom that Jesus is giving us here is, is to guard our hearts against these things that would cause us to not pray. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, the trials of life, um, and the lies that the enemy is continually barraging us just through the messages in our media as well as in our thoughts. So let's just practice that now. So I think as we respond, instead of talking today, I would just like us to, at our tables, just pray. We're going to take five, we'll take three minutes right now, and we're just going to stop and pray. And you don't have to pray out loud. You can pray by yourself, but after three minutes, the worship team will come back up, and then we can continue to pray as we sing together. All right? Lord, bless us your word.